Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. I'm your host Aaron and each week I have the pleasure of talking movies and films with my best buddy James. Hello there. That's his voice. Thank you. Say it again. Hello there. Welcome. If you're a new listener, we get around the mics each week to talk about a different movie topic or theme within movies. And if you go through our catalogue, you'll find all sorts of episodes, 146 plus a few bonus episodes to go through on everything from Mel Gibson. I don't know why I started there, but Amy Adams, special director sometimes. I want to go really back. Zombies, we so much effort. Tom yeah. Hanks, that would have been a better, that there would have been stronger, go. wouldn't it? Big Tom Hanks, <laughs> no, everyone likes Tom Hanks. We've done all oh, last week though, massive, massive celebration of a great, great artist that we both love, John Carpenter. Yeah, and it actually went down really well. And a lot of people that I didn't know listen to the podcast stopped me to be like I listened to John Carpenter episode I was oh, like cool but you know it's a testament to the man you know who's um, imagination spirals and, and insights and invigorates so much in I was like everyone's seen a John Carpenter film everyone's got a favourite everyone loves the man everyone loves his visionary style yeah, and every, I think you're right. Everyone has a favourite, surely, does. with John Carpenter. Yeah, it's usually the thing. But then again, we had you posted on a social meds a lot of love for Big Trouble in Little Chinatown, as there should be. Yeah, the film that like tanked at the box office, <laughs> yeah. but found a following much, much later. Um, I like that movie. I do think The Thing still, Halloween, they live, but in the math madness. Yeah. Oh, there's so many, mate. Just not go somewhere else. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's a guilty pleasure, isn't it? You it know, is. everyone's got a death note. Um, <laughs> this week we are looking, I mean, it's a real eclectic one and I'm going to be really honest with the listeners. Uh, this is the night before we release the podcast. Yep. We normally get together a week ahead so we can, we can record and then I can lie to myself and say, oh, I've got a week to edit and I'll never do. <laughs> like, um, but this is the 11th hour. This podcast is due out first thing in the morning. So this is it. One shot, James. <laughs> We've only got one opportunity. This is it. Um, and it's an eclectic one. We're going to look at this. This is like mopping up because there's a few <laughs> There's a few things we've wanted to talk about yeah. that have never really constituted a full episode. It's hard to do because of the nature of the, th- of the things that we want to discuss. Yeah. So, so in particular, there are two um, parts to our Grindhouse episode this week. There's Henry... Cavill. Because we thought, if you like John Carpenter, who's hot? <laughs> Ain't nothing hotter than Henry Cavill. We've name-dropped Henry Cavill quite a few times. We have. Uh, or it's Henry Cavill, isn't it? Because I remember there's a video of Henry Cavill saying, it's Cavill, like travel, but Cavill. So it's Henry Cavill. Well, I apologise, Henry Cavill. Strong start. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, we, we've name-dropped him a few times. We've talked about The Witcher recently. We've talked about, obviously, uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh, a real kind of... I don't know, interesting bloke that we wanted to talk about and kind of filmography and, and you know, what James and I do really well, give some career advice. Yeah. The guy might need it and he might listen to the podcast. Um, we're also going to look at short film as well, a yeah. medium that we haven't delved into um, on our quest after 147 plus bonus episodes. Short film is one that we haven't really gone into in too much detail. So we're going to also look at some of those, some recommendations of streaming sites and a brief history of the short film. But before all of that, James. Oh, yeah. We went to the cinema this week. We did, for the first time in over a year. We went to the cinema together. No, no, we, I went to see Tenant. No, together. Oh, together, yes. Yeah, so yeah. it's been a while since we had a little mandate. Yeah, we're walking down to the cinema. So I lived like 10 minutes away from the cinema. So walking over there, I was like, God, it's been a year. And I was like, no, it wasn't Tenant. I did see Tenant in, in the summer. But that didn't feel like cinemas had reopened. It very much felt like a stopgap. It did only feel like it was only a month. Yeah. And it was, it was like, Tenant's here, watch Tenant. See what happens. And then get back in your ass for six months. Yeah. And um, and essentially that's what it was. 
and Tenant obviously had this heart behind it as being like the film that was going to save cinemas. And in hindsight, it was premature. There's obviously, uh, you know, particularly here in the UK, there's still, um, you know, and we still are kind of battling coronavirus. But at the time, I don't think it ever felt like we were out of the woods back no. last year. It was always that in October, there was going to be the second rise, the second peak, which obviously spread into the new year. Um, but walking down to the cinema, it did feel a little bit more like but it was things lot, are getting back to normal. It was a lot different because it was busier. Like yeah. the pubs are open. There's a pub next to the cinema. It was crowded. The car park I went to had cars in it. Was well, I remember six months ago when I went to go see Star Wars randomly. It was desolate. Mm. Felt like I was breaking the law by going to the cinema. Whereas this time it was it was vibrant. You know, everyone was in shorts and t-shirts. They were enjoying the hot weather. It was. It felt like the beginning of reopening. What's nice is our cinema um, in Lincoln is is on a marina, so it really is a pretty it place is. to go. Isn't which it? Is, which might have charged so much extra because of the views that you can't see you can't whilst you're sat in screen eight. But it was air conditioned, James. <laughs> yes, that was, it was. That was a blessing. Praise the Lord. What was really weird though is walking. So I said it's 10 minutes from my house to the cinema and walking from here to there. In So this is how much I've been isolating and shielding and not going into the city, into the city centre. It's just four buildings that have been built between here and, and the cinema yeah, in so that gone, 10 minute it? walk. Maplin's gone. Whatever else was there. I don't but, remember. The sofa place. The, the rip off of Ikea, gone. <laughs> But that got me thinking about like that would make a great movie is like a conspiracy to keep people indoors whilst whilst people built shit. <laughs> like surely there's a short movie in there somewhere. I I can see that, yeah. A conspiracy movie where we were all kept indoors and told to stay away from people because they knew aliens were gonna land for a very short period of time and they didn't want anyone with smartphones to take photos of them. And a young hero discovers this. And there's like a crazy person who lives in the same building. They've been they've been talking about it for ages. And then and then she goes and he tells them he tells them what she tells them the whole story. Like oh my god, this is happening. And our hero says, well, why? <laughs> then film it. Finn. Finn. Just like why you're building. But we did get back to the original story. We did get back to the cinema this week, and we watched a Quiet Place two. So should we start there? We should start there, and we start. But what a hard choice it was between a Quiet Place two or Cruella. I do. I do want to see Cruella. Though. I still want to see Cruella. I should have gone this morning, but. I didn't. I will see it before. No, I won't see it before the next one because we're recording the next podcast tomorrow. Yeah. No, but I will see Corella uh, this week sometime because I do want to see it. The trailer makes it look pretty good and they're already talking about a sequel potentially. And big Emma Stone fan. And from the trailer, she does really seem to be capturing the Cruella Not caricature. Yeah. yeah. Like there's, I remember the I remember the 101 Dalmatians movie, the animation. You know, in scenes of like Cruella, you know, looking mad and kind of hunched and, you know, like kind of vengeful. Like, like, like a, yeah. yeah. And and in the trailer, I was like, oh, yeah, I can actually see this. It does look pretty good. The only thing is, if she gets her own spin off film, the character of Cruella, you're never supposed to side with her because she's pure. She wants to kill animals to make a coat. So I find it really weird that she's, I know she's not the hero and it's going to be about how she turns into it, but at no point should I be on her side. Yeah, <laughs> never, never, never in like Disney history or thinking about film was I like, do you know a film that I really need to see? I need to see the origin story of the woman who wants to make a dog coat. Yeah. <laughs> like, Only coupled up there with Ratchet. I don't know who anyone was watching um, the Jack Nicholson Grey, and I can't remember. Oh, one for the Goose I got. I really want to know about Ratchet. I suppose though, Nurse Ratchet has in cinema history the is one of the ultimate bad guys. Oh yes, you know because and, because she's not superpowered. She she's weirdly she's by the book. She does her job, but she does her job so stringently that the hero is a lobotomized. Yeah, yeah, but, but even then, the hero uh, isn't he's, really he's a, not hero, a hero. Is he? No, <laughs> like, you got to remember why he's in there, James. Which, yeah, but I'm just saying, which proves how evil she is. That you side with Ratchet. 
<laughs> you hide him right here. <laughs> Move on. Quiet Place 2. <laughs> Quiet Place 2. Um, so yeah, this this movie was one of the first films after COVID hit to be delayed. I think it had already had its release, certainly um, during lockdown and during uh, the last year. I've seen posters of this film up for ages um, that were put up, obviously, um, before we all went into lockdown. So it makes sense that as cinema starts to reopen, this is one of the first movies that is reintroduced. This is obviously off the back of a truly phenomenal movie, Quiet Place, I was a big fan of. Yeah, it'd be different. Mm. Nuanced. It took a... Took a, The only other thing I'd seen like this was an episode of Buffy Vampire Slayer. There's no voices, which I know is different, but in this, it's, it's the absence of sound. There's a whole there's a whole world built around you do not make noise. I believe the first speech is what fifty minutes into film when you go to the waterfall in the original. It's like it's longer than that. It's like it's a huge piece of you've got the great John Kowinski, great Emily Blunt. You know they are they're powerhouses. And they're actually on the screen not talking, which is a privilege to watch them act. You know the the, the perfect family surviving this weird apocalypse. Yeah, and and the thing about that first movie that was so good is that it had so many open questions, but it felt it felt like you know, the movie gave you enough not to really need yeah. to know the answers. You didn't need to know where these things had come from. You didn't need to know, you know, um, backstories of characters. It was, you were dropped in and it was a series of events that they were living amazingly in this alien infested world where you can't make any sound. They were living quite peacefully, quite humbly. They had a life. And yeah. then obviously that is all thrown out the window. Um, as Due a, to as, the events. Yeah. That, that occur. But what's really good about this type of film is um, it's, it's nuanced as in it, it happens, you accept it. It builds the world very carefully. Now I remember when you were when you first gave your review like ages ago, episode twenty-four or something, you mentioned that you liked the fact that the crisps were still in there. Oh, in the cinema and the aisle. Really yeah. now because they the packets were crinkly. When you eat them, you make a crunch, so you wouldn't eat them. Mm. So it shows and doesn't tell you. It's like the world is silent, this is why. Now, whenever a film hits on that special, that special place. That quiet place. When it, when it gets to that special area, when you do a sequel, there's always the problem that directors feel they have to explain. Mm. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but there are where they go, sequel comes in. We'll go to Matrix, for example. The second one is like, oh my God, the film's a success. It needs more lore. And then I was really worried that we were going to find out so much about the world that we lived in. I was like, John Krasinski, at the time, didn't want to do a sequel. He was like, no, it's fine. It's a story told, but then... So you think, oh, it's money. They've given a big budget. It's going to tell a story that I'm not interested in. So thankfully, that's not what happens. Yeah, sequel movies are always hard. And it's that long going debate. I think anyone who's into film at some point has had that that argument of, can sequels ever surpass the original? There are a few and far between that have ever done that. I think you could probably count on two hands, maybe the number of films where the sequel has been superior to the original. And even them, cause argument you yep. know uh, you I'm know. So, uh, so emphatic with my yep yep <laughs> yeah they do yeah. Terminator obviously Terminator one, one yeah Aliens Alien you know Godfather Godfather Part 2 and New Hope uh, Empire you know there were there were numerous ones where people was you know they, they maybe challenged the first the original this set the bar incredibly high and I really really enjoyed A Quiet Place Part 2 it does have returning cast as James was saying um, Emily Blunt amazing um, she's so good Simmons who's uh, the daughter who plays uh, Reagan um, and Noah Dupe as Marcus, um, also introduced into this movie, brilliantly cast, uh, Killian Murphy. Very good. I like his beard. As Emmett. Yeah, I'm going to come back to him in a few moments. The, the film picks up almost immediately after where the first one um, left us, so the aftermath of the first movie. But you also do get the privilege of a short flashback scene at the beginning of the film, day one, to show when events unfolded. Uh, and actually, I love that, that whole sequence. 
I could have done with a bit more. I was hoping they were going to flash back again later in the movie and show you a little bit more. I genuinely thought they were good, but at the same time, I was quite happy. It left me wanting more. Yeah, because again, it shows you things, but it still doesn't tell you the answers that you look for. It means one of the main things we talked about when we left the movie was how open to interpretation it still is. Yeah. So you do see events that could be... um, why these aliens, these monsters, these creatures um, that, you know, rip apart anyone who makes a noise uh, quite viciously as well. It, 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 it was very vicious in this one, wasn't it? That yeah. was, they were a lot more what I'd call feral. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, that's getting off point. But No, yeah. but it, it, so I think we, we actually should talk about that in a few minutes, actually, the, the monster itself, because that is iconic in, in any monster movie. You've got to yeah. have a good monster. Um, but in this one, it still, it showed you day one, but it still didn't give you any answers, which I thought was so good. And, Really what I wanted. And then, as I say, the story picks up. At the end of the last movie, Emily Blunt's character um, has a baby and now there it is uh, her, her two, uh, her three kids now looking for a safe place and they bump into fellow survivor, Emmett, played by Killian Murphy that we talked about, and then events unfold. What's really great about this, and we're not going to plot spoil because it's obviously just out and you're probably going to go watch it at the cinema. You should. What, what, what I don't think is a spoiler is to say that what I think is brilliant about this movie is it shifts focus and now... Millicent Simmons' character, Reagan, uh, Regan, sorry, is the main, um, you know, our, our protagonist in this movie. It's about it's about growing up in a different world. Mm. So it's about so in the first one is I don't think it's wrong to say that the first one is about. You can look at it from a different ways. I like to think of it as it's the parents' film, as in how what it takes to be a parent in the new world. Like you've obviously got John. Krasinski is the father. You know, he's building this stuff, but it's also about Emily Blunt holding the people together. You know, learning. Uh, the dad comes across. They don't. It comes across a bit of an arsehole on the first one because it because quite because he has to be because he has to be but obviously to keep you people as, safe yeah you as a child don't you know respect that you're just like you know the whole bit with the toy for example which is what makes it clever is because there is the divide in the family in the first one because yeah. almost John Krasinski's character Lee somewhat blames. Um, Reagan for the death of the son in the kind of opening 10 minutes of the first movie. Exactly. And that, the main character, the main story arc, sorry, in the first one is a father daughter relationship in a world where there are aliens that will rip you apart. Like the theme of the movie was family. This picks the baton up and now it's this girl's coming of age story. And that's where I was going. It's it's a coming of age story for for everyone. Like it's it's, it's Mm. about dealing. And it's also those characters of like Emmett. He, he is not, he's not a substitute for Lee. He's not. They're different people. I like that. You know, you've shown the family man and then you've shown like the, like the opposite, like the loner. What could happen? You know, I love the set designs as well. Like the world going to shit. I, I love, this is my sort of feel. Um, without going to spoilers, it's like a train yard. I thought mm. it looked brilliant. I just, I, I, as a set designer, would have loved to play about in that. Yeah. And uh, it take, most of it takes place at daytime, yeah. which is brilliant. So it doesn't hide behind the, uh, oh, well, you know, the monster in the shadows kind of thing. It's like, no, this broad fucking daylight shows how savage they are, which links us back to the other talking point. The monsters themselves. In the first movie, I wasn't all blown away by the look of the monster, but I actually still like that because the point of the first movie wasn't um, the monster themselves you were supposed to be afraid of. It was the fear of making a noise. Yeah, that's a good point. So they are the aftermath. The thing is, don't make a noise, otherwise... The tension, the score, the action builds up to someone not making a noise. What happens next is you're saying exactly right. Do you know what? Can we just go back to the first one and say that one of the best moments, I think, in cinema in the last 10 years is Emily Blunt standing on her nail. That and then she has to give birth. I just, I just, yeah, like, <laughs> this is me as a man. I'm like, giving birth, fine, but standing on a nail. <laughs> yeah. so, fucking Lego on the floor, Jesus. Like if it was Lego, done. <laughs> that family's dead. Yeah, it, it was really clever. And I, I didn't rewatch the first one. So actually, 
when I went into watch this one, I was kind of remembering bits because it does pick up pretty much away. And yeah. I was like, why is she grabbing that? Oh yeah, that's right. Because that happened at the end of the first movie and it was a real enjoyable experience. Um, the monsters look fucking brilliant in this movie. They did. Terrifying, vicious. They, you see a lot more of them in action, which I suppose is the the it's, step up of sequel territory. It is the sequel territory. You know, alien aliens, you know, look yeah. at the, the how that transitions. And this is quite similar. Like, you, you know, the first movie was pretty much about them handling one, maybe two of the aliens. This one at the beginning, fucking hell, it is savage. Well, on the map, it does say in the first one, it says three in the area. That turned out to be bullshit, didn't yeah. it? But that's not taken away from what it was a great film. That is biggest, um, I guess it's biggest great. It was always going to be the first one because the first one broke new ground. No mm. one saw A Quiet Place coming. They did. It was phenomenal. People demanded a sequel. That's a lot of pressure on a film. That's a lot mm. of pressure on a director, John Krasinski, who, whose character is dead. Yeah. <laughs> his, his wife's in it. He didn't want to. Um, so whenever I hear that, I'm always thinking, oh, maybe it's not going to be good. But do you know what? Maybe the internet was wrong because I I, I loved it. From mm. point one, day one, when like a little slice of Americana, you know, he, he's buying oranges. You know, he's a family man. There's a dog in a car. Fast forward to about 10 minutes later and I got big vibes of uh, World of Worlds. Mm, yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we're basically America. America. When I mean American, I believe there's a, like a baseball game. Uh, there is a baseball game flashed with uh, World Worlds where, where Tom Cruise is playing baseball. So there's this huge slice of American life just getting fucked over by an yeah. alien. And I, I do what I really liked it. And the scene of people panicking was great tension. They do a lot of um, one shot, mm. one shot sweeping, especially in the car. That was right. That was tense. Whenever they're in a car, I always expect a lot of smooth edits in them scenes. Yeah, usually like the bit where it zooms in unnecessarily into like a character's back of their head. He's like, oh, smart cut. Yeah, smart cut. <laughs> Not that smart because why would you zoom in on someone's ear? <laughs> it is it, it is a really, really, really uh, impressive movie to actually, and and also give a credit where credit's due as well. Emily Blunt's character um, picks up that intensity and carries it straight away. That's the other thing about sequel territories. People have to return to characters that they've put to bed and they've obviously yes. gone on to do other things. I think, you know, in this, in the meantime, Emily Blunt has obviously gone on to do things like Mary Poppins and stuff. So stuff that is completely like you have to take. You can't do Mary Poppins if you're like <laughs> the ultimate survivor. Yeah, you have to like proper take yourself out of a headspace and be like, now I'm the greatest nanny in the world. <laughs> but returns into this, you know, like putting on, you know, your favorite shoes or slippers or whatever. It, it just feels like she slipped straight back into that role and picked it up exactly where she left off. And everyone in the film does. I think the new cast, particularly Kelly uh, Murphy's character. As well, really well written, really interesting, keeps you on guessing, thinking, is he, isn't he, is he good, is he bad, what were his motives, what were his intentions? Perfectly cast as well. I heard John Krasinski say this, is that Killian Murphy is one of them characters, though, who, in the one hand, is the big blue eyes, the Irish accent, the heartthrob, but on the other hand, he's, he's, you know, your Tommy Shelby, you know, cut you with a cutthroat razor kind of character. He can be vicious, he can be, you know, a heartthrob. He's one of them actors and that that needed to be in the role because the audience is supposed to be weary of this individual. And I was like, God, that he's just perfectly cast as well. Um, he's the right side of medicine without being menacing. Just a, he's the right side of medicine and also the right side of being nice. So yeah. he's, he's, he's a pivot actor. He does this brilliant job when you first introduced to him and he uh, in the post pocket world where he won't show his face. Mm. And I really liked that because there's questions about his character, which I won't go into because they're spoilers, but... I thought he was he was a brilliant addition because at no point does it no point does he overshine the storyline. And that sounds really weird. I really like Killian Murphy. I think he's a great actor. I feel like he should be in more. I think I just well, well I discovered him when I first one was in Red Eye in a film I wasn't particularly interested in, but he was so menacing as a man just sat in a chair next to um 
Rich McAdams, Rachel wasn't McAdams, it? Rachel McAdams, yeah. Mm. But that's just like, that's so menacing. And then obviously, I think people start to recognise him from the Batman series. He's the only character. 27 Days Later has got to be the big one, isn't it? Oh yeah, 27 Days Later, when he woke up. He completely forgot he was in it. Yeah, there's, there's a scene in this where he's walking across the bridge and it's all just full of cars. And I was like, hold on, this could <laughs> just, be a continuation just, of that. Just lifted. He wasn't in the hospital gown. Um, and then... His character goes through goes through some quite some good things. I I didn't find a weak spot in this film. I thought it was very enjoyable. Yeah. Enjoyed nice himself. resolve as well. Third act very strong, and also plenty of mirror into that first movie. Little nods, you know, if you're a fan of the first film, or even if you like myself who loved it but hadn't seen it in a while, there is enough going on, particularly in the opening scene, where you're like, this is so nice how it's filmed. It's showing you everything from that first movie, but you know you're in sequel territory. I thought it was really really good as well. Lots of nods to things that I love in it. You know, the the whole being quiet and someone's mobile phone goes off, mm. you know, which is fucking perfect because, you you know, it's like the perfect nod to being in a cinema yeah. when you're watching a film and someone's phone goes off and you're like, oh, this film is so good. I loved it. I thought it was really good. I do want to stop. I don't want a bad one. We were talking about this on the way home. I don't want this to be a prequel to Starship Troopers. Yeah, And then in, in four years time, we've got, what was it like? Uh, a Quiet Place, The Beginning. Yeah, something like that. I don't want it to go, because normally two good films followed by trash. That's usually how it goes. Horror horror franchises, that's what they do. Um, the third one's usually direct to direct to Netflix. Well, it gets to the point where the studio doesn't want to lose the artistic property or whatever. So yeah. they have to keep churning a movie out every now and again. And that's why you get like, you know, Hellraiser 15. Yeah, you do. All them kind of films. It's funny you should mention that. Because that's going to call it Harry Cavill soon, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I, hope, I hope they call it two and dumb. It was perfect. Both are perfect. It's it's brilliant. It was a good Go film. see Quiet Place 2 if you haven't seen it. Part 2. Part 2. Classy as well, that. Not Quiet Place 2. Quiet Place Part 2. It did that 80s thing with horror features right in the credits. Did you notice that it goes Quiet Place Part 2, Part 2 turns red, and the Quiet Place disappears, so the only thing on the screen was Part 2. That That's, mm. that's straight out of like... Nightmare on Elm Street. That, I love that, that says, stuff. and that is also the, a perfect way to say. And so we're going to pick up where we left off. Yeah, chapter two. It could have been called. You know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Brilliant. Strong start. Now let's go to short movies or Henry Cavill. Short movies. Short movies. Okay. Short movies. The the medium that speaks to everyone so differently. You know. Do you want to get a degree in filmmaking? Make a short movie. Make a short documentary. Make it short. <laughs> Introduction. You're up and coming. You want to maybe test the waters, direct something, or maybe you want to write something, or maybe you want to, you know, have something for your CV, your resume as an actor. Short maybe, film. Maybe you're a filmmaker that's in an unpoverished country and you want to make a film that highlights a, a problem or an event that you don't think gets the world recognition. You don't have the big budget. You want to make a spotlight on a particular issue. Mm. You make a short movie. Or maybe you've got a passion, a love, you know, for something that's quite unique. Something that maybe people don't know enough about and you want to show the world a little bit more about the thing that you love. Short movie. Maybe you're David Lynch and what the fuck? <laughs> a short movie is a motion picture that is short enough not to be considered as a feature film. So the Academy Awards uh, defines a short movie as anything under 40 minutes, including credits. That's mental, isn't it? Now, technically, all movies, that when you know, at the birth of cinema and the birth of moving pictures would have been considered as short films. Obviously, until they got past that kind of 10, 15-minute runtime, which wasn't until you know, 1910, anything really from the birth of cinema in 19, uh, 1894 would have been a short movie. Um, often depicted as things like newsreels, comedies. Um, horror was big as an initial breakout um, short. But nowadays, uh, you know you're watching a short movie if you're at a film festival. Um, <laughs> and it's a gateway for independent filmmakers, those with limited budgets. Um, and as I say, technically all of initial movies were short movies that were under 10 minutes or if they were uh, limited to two roles of film. 
So, in the 1920s, short films would tend to be things like uh, cartoons, newsreels, as we're talking about short comedies, um, and would often accompany a feature movie. So, it would be played at the beginning. Something that Pixar started uh, reintroducing in 1995 when they started doing the miniature shorts before their big uh, theatrical releases. Um, short film or features, um, so yeah, short for, uh, film declined thanks to many reasons, including the Great Depression, the introduction of double features, so grindhouse movies, um, and also, of course, the introduction to home entertainment and TVs in the 1950s. So something that was uh, big in cinema, but then obviously depleted. Uh, cartoons, particularly from Warner Brothers, were the only things really to survive after the 50s. Things like the introduction of Tom and Jerry, Woody Woodpecker, and ending with Pink Panther in the 1980s. For me, short film, I think, is a gateway into and a snapshot of um, endless worlds of imagination, things like culture, genres, um, the things that we were joking about just a few minutes ago. And it's also now synonymous with things like YouTube and Vimeo. Yeah. You don't need... Um, what What's beautiful about short film as well is, is you don't need a story. If you're a filmmaker and you want to make a particular point, you make it and it's up for everyone else. It's open to interpretation. We're going to be talking about some of them, which basically a, a director, an artist has made, has made a point and it's, up, it's for you. That's it. It's like, I've got nothing else to say. This. And yeah. I, I, there's, there's something quite honest, something surreal about that. It's like, there's no makeup. This is a situation, especially on one of the ones I'm going to talk about, which kind of blew my mind about the world that we live in. I just think that's really cool. Yeah, the, the luxury of a, a short movie is you don't need that character development or that arc. You're right, you just dropped into a specific situation yeah. and you get to see that snapshot of that situation. Often with a moral or a, or a oh, yes. something <laughs> towards the end of it. So a take-home message that's, that's told through the narration. Um Although the medium is open to all f- uh, styles of filmmaking, for me personally, I think short animation, foreign film and horror are really where it's kind of at or where I'm kind of gravitated towards. But if you look at some of the greats, you know, Martin Scorsese, Taika Waititi, Lynn Ramsey, Christopher Nolan, uh, Martin McDonald, all started their careers with short film. So if you look at Christopher Nolan's Doodle Bug, have you seen that one? I've, I think I've seen, I think I've, it's on a DVD. It's a, I've seen. You can now watch on YouTube. It's free. It's out there. It's a three minute black and white about a man trying to kill a small insect while yeah. going through an identity crisis. I've seen it. Which again, at the end, it, you kind of, it, the beauty of that short, and, it, and it, it's early Nolan. It's like 97 or something like that. No, earlier than so that. So you sorry. could understand it. No, it's, <laughs> it, was but, but it's, it's it's one of the films where it's got the it's got the Nolan score. So there's like a ticking clock halfway through it, um, and also it's a it's typical Nolan because the beauty of a lot of Nolan bar Tenen <laughs> is, is that most of the time the audience is supposed to know the ending before the characters do. Yeah, and this Doodlebug is really good because you click onto the ending about twenty seconds before the main guy does, and it's it's actually pretty good. Three minutes. It's out there. Martin Scorsese obviously did, was it Shave? The one about the guy who cuts himself while shaving and keeps cutting himself going deeper and deeper. And that was a nod to uh, America's um, fascination and um, perseverance, uh, perseverance, um, attack on the Vietnamese war. Um, If you look at Tim Burton, a love letter to the gothic era with his movie Vincent, the stop animation, which he even got Vincent Price to narrate, which must have been incredible, getting one of your heroes to narrate your short film. Which is, Um, you know, inspired by your hero. It's, yeah, well, no, it's actually inspired by German Expressionism from the 1920s. Well, now I feel like a right twat. Uh, <laughs> I'll that, see you later. The black and white stop motion gothic. Um, yeah, I really like short movies. And it's one of them where when I watch a Pixar film or around the awards seasons and you, you kind of watch a few, you think, God, why don't I watch more of these more often? Because, yeah. you know, they really are like, you know, from three minutes up to 40 minutes. But for the most part, I think, you know, 
most of the ones that I've particularly watched this weekend tend to be between five and ten minutes. I do. You know what I think the problem is is no one picks them up because I don't think they're I, they're never going to get you in. So we're talking about you know small Lincoln here. We've only got one cinema. Well, we've got two, but we've got the one primary cinema. You're not going to bust out eight pounds to go sit in a cinema for ten minutes. So what you, what they do is they feed them out. That's why they're never made. They're made for you as an audience member to go and find. But you've got to remember, we will film. We will go find them. A lot of audience members won't. You know, they'll go on you if it's on YouTube and they select it, they might. But that's the problem: is it doesn't generate viewers money. So there's a tendency to not promote them or highlight them. The small awards that they get are usually quite, you know, I know they're prestigious, but at the same time, they're not, they don't bring the moolah in. And unfortunately, we, we live in a world of the big cinema, the, the big the big movie producers, they want that moolah. But here, you know, the, the Lincoln Film Festival is mainly shorts, isn't it? Yeah. But then again, I, th- I think you only do a festival because you want to make a point. You want to well, make a showcase, film. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a showcase of what you want. It's, it's, you, it's you a particular highlight, you showing off a thing, which is great. You, you do you know what? I didn't dislike any of the ones I've seen to the, uh, this week. But that's the other thing. It's very hard not to like a short movie as well. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. But I tell you what, I this is a testament. The short movie can make me feel things in seven minutes that a big budget film can cannot in a one hour, 45 minute production, which I think is a testament to filmmaking. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. I think there's, there's something about... Um, the, the, as we were saying, it, it kind of gives you a snapshot, drops you straight in. We, there's no backstory. There's no no time for that. Straight nope. in. And every second is accounted for um, in a short movie, unless it's, uh, you know, a, a Lynch one. <laughs> and and every, it's calculated. You know, that screen time is precious. And so you have to get straight to the heart of what you're trying to talk about. Yeah. Animation does that brilliantly. There's one called, I don't know if you saw it, I think it's called Bao, the um, Asian lady making the dumplings when her son leaves to go to university. Have you seen that one? No. Fucking that heartbreaking. It, 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 not, not heartbreaking, but she starts making dumplings and one of them like comes to life and she starts to nurture it. Oh, mate. And it's like filling the gap that she's that, lost that since her son left. Um, does, you know, does the dumpling then graduate and leave her as well? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, have you seen, there's, a, there's also one that I was talking just before we hit record, Jerry's Game in 1997. It's an animated one, yeah. which is about an old man going to play a game of chess against uh, himself. So there's Jerry Black and Jerry White. And when Jerry White starts to win, Jerry Black fakes a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a beautiful seven minute um like you know animation that has no spoken word in it whatsoever but it's beautiful and heartfelt and you know it has them take home messages that the animation does really really well i know we both saw canvas this week as well we did see canvas wow that was that was powerful in in its quickness as in it's obviously about a joy of painting about you know painting memories and things like that and how there's hurt the thing is you really can't spoil a short film but it's about it's about bereavement it's about, it's about what was, you said it perfectly, a lot better and more articulately than I was going to say, because I was going to say, it's about memories, good and bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's about how memories differ over time as well. And when I was watching it, and I know it's uh, the computer generated itself, it made me think of the film that I love called Inside Out mm. and how memories change over time. You know, some of them turn sad, some of them turn good. Whereas Inside Out took a long time to make that point, <laughs> whereas the, world, the canvas took three and a half minutes. <laughs> But I know that's because Inside Out was telling the story. But it was a beautiful piece about memories and art and relationships and family. And it made me it made me sad that I can't draw. <laughs> but then again, I can sarcastically take the piss out of things. They're the same. There's, there's something though, isn't there, about animated old men and grandparents and yeah. then their grandchildren 
And, you know, I'm thinking obviously up, you know, at the beginning of that movie, which makes you laugh and cry in three minutes in the opening <laughs> of that film. But Unless you're dead inside. You are dead inside, James. No, I, I, I really like Canvas. I thought Canvas was really sweet. It was sweet. Heartfelt. Innocent. Good story. Well presented as well. That art is beautiful. Mm. Um, then maybe there was a film that, that I watched, If Anything Happens, I Love You, which was a beautiful. Now, when we talk about art style, it's a, it's a written one. The style is of a drawing. It's kind of like got the the smudges on the on those pages, you know, the, the wispy lines of a pen. And it's a, uh, how do I best describe this? It's like a kick in the emotions. Yeah. <laughs> it's so I watched this on a, on a Saturday. I just worked like 11, 12 days straight. I woke up in the morning and I was hovering over it the night before. I was too tired. So I put it on. And do you know what? Seven and a half minutes later, I was nearly crying. And then I had to go into work because there was a massive problem. And then four hours later, I was crying. Um, if anything happens, I love you. Um, a 2D animation directed by Will McCormack and Michael uh, Glovier. It follows two grieving parents. And, and basically, the stories of their shadows and of the things that they don't say to each other. And it's them dealing with the loss of, of an innocent of an innocent child, there were only innocent children, of, of a child who's, who's tragically taken away in a very brutal manner. And it's about shadows and the, the things we don't say to each other. It's the unsaid things, living out in this fantasy world behind the parents, you know, when, they, when they're too sad and too depressed to hold each other, the shadows hug. It's, it's fuck you, it's a killer. It killed me. I was devastated Saturday at half past eight in the morning. Screw you for making me feel things. Is it is it not a um, is it is it not a first thing in the morning movie? No, I, I when do you watch when? <laughs> best thing, audiences, when do you really want to feel sad? <laughs> it's that when you really want to bring the mood down. It's do you know when you put it on in a, at a party when you want everyone to leave? <laughs> Just when you get out, watch this absolutely epic film. Um, it was fantastic. Um, animation's beautiful. Music wispy quite liked it but um, the story that plays out is is writing that a lot of people who get paid a lot of money could never do the imagination mm. it's um, is a testament to someone's vision so well played in what is on Netflix you should watch it it's brilliant it's 2020 it's fantastic it's beautiful it, I believe it was up for an Academy Award I don't know if it won now critical acclaim oh it, it received the Academy Award for Best Animation Short Film oh there you go well it should have done very sure if you haven't seen World of Wrestling you got to watch that it's okay. a, about a night bus, double decker, and after a, uh, it's, a it's about the, it's about. Um, <laughs> I don't know where you're going with this, mate. Do, do you know? Have you heard this one? Heard this. Wrestling, yeah. It's, it's, it's about a load of um, small time wrestlers. Uh, what, what would you call it? Kind of like um, indie. Yeah, indie, indie wrestling. Yeah. yeah, it's like backdoor wrestling, but obviously not in the back door. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it shows the night bus after a kind of, I suppose, a big night, and then one by one, more and more wrestlers get onto this double decker <laughs> on the top deck, and uh, by the end of the movie, which is short, you know, it's less than twenty minutes, the, a, a fight breaks out, and it's just it's all shown through things like the CCTV and stuff like that, and it is brilliant, you know, because you don't know whether they're talking to the real person behind the mask or whether they're talking to the character that that person's portraying, but. World of Wrestling from 2007 is a really, really good one as well that I'd say to watch. Oh, okay. I'm going to raise you, mate. I'm going to raise you. You like music. Mm. Do you like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson? Is this the Tom York one? Yeah. The Radiohead singer? Uh, uh, it's called uh, uh, Anima. And it's, um, if, if do you know what? He, the whole thing is he, he meets a girl who likes on the bus. She forgets, uh, she forgets something. And then he basically goes into what I can only describe as some sort of 80s dilemma where everyone's walking against him. Tom York's coming against the grain, mate. They're all walking towards him. He's going the other way. What it is, is a lot of great movement. 
So like the uh, the the platform as he's trying to fight, he's trying to bring the suitcase back, and everything's getting in his way. The platform's raising, it's tilting. There's a brilliant. Uh, um, where Tommy York is walking against the wind, so he's literally at like a thirty degree angle from the floor, just kind of being gusted away. Gusted. It is a testament to what I don't like Tommy York. <laughs> I imagine he thought he was being quite artistic. He was quite far up himself. But do you know what? Paul Thomas Anderson does what he does best. He brings whimsy to the storyline, which obviously there isn't because it's barely spoken. It's it's it was made for the music. It's on Netflix. It wasn't for me. It got great reviews. I don't know how. Um it's all right. It's worth your 15 minutes. What would you do, James, if I said there's a David Lynch movie you on Netflix? It. I would say, let's watch it. There's a movie called What What Did Jack Do? Mate, how are we going to spend ages on this? I think we probably should. <laughs> I, the thing is, I didn't want this section to be longer than a short film, <laughs> which I thought would have been ironic because we did a DC uh, episode, which was longer than all the DC movies put together. Um, Still going, mate. <laughs> but there's a 2017 movie called What Could What Did Jack Do that came out on um, on Netflix. It's a black and white film directed by David Lynch, who I didn't really uh, kind of get, get on board with the David Lynch hype. I didn't watch Twin Peaks. And Twin Peaks season June one was is... all right, and then Mulholland Drive and a lot of the other stuff. I yeah, I like Mulholland Drive. I've always like respected because he's you know he's he's. I suppose David Lynch as a film director is the. Is is Tom Waits as a musician, and I love Tom Waits as a musician. He's easily one of my favorite musicians. David Lynch, it, it doesn't. It's like David Lynch looks at the rule book and purposely was like, "No, I'll do it different." Yeah, everything about him is like, "No, I don't want to tell that story." You, the simple, there's a simple explanation. I won't do it. Twin Peaks season one, perfect example. He got it right. Everything's just that slightly different bit weird, but then if you give him too much rope. Twin Peaks season two, fucking awful, because he's too far off the rope. He's, he, mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. But Twin Peaks season one, mate, it's nearly phenomenal. And it's full of so many questions because he loves to take the risk. He loves to take the the macabre, you know, the man. You know, it's, it's all very good. I really like Twin Peaks. It's a perfect example of David Lynch's work. However, season two is a perfect example of David Lynch when, you, when he goes off the reservoir. Too much Lynch. <laughs> too much Lynch. <laughs> yeah. I, what, Jack... What did Jack do is, 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 I suppose, is the perfect segue into that, which is where David Lynch himself plays uh, a detective who sits down at a train station to interview prime suspect Jack, who is a monkey. Yep. And that monkey is a small capuchin or a spider monkey. I'm not sure. I'm not sure on my primates, James. I believe I've got a capuchin here. Is it a capuchin? I believe it is. I went with capuchin. I'm going to stick with capuchin. Um, That has a, a, a... it, I mean, it's not even good CGI. It's that kind of C, like when you first learn like, how to like use a computer. It's really bad deep fake, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's just a mouth keeps appearing on this monkey to speak in this really weird dialect. And the two are not talking sense whatsoever. No. <laughs> so the detective, in this case, played by um, Lynch, is asking, he's interrogating questions and the responses are nothing to do with what he's asking for. Yep. And it conspires that there's a love interest with a chicken, um, you know, there, there, there could have been a double cross. Um, the question, what did Jack do, is unanswered by the end of the movie because I'm none the wiser as, as to what to happen. But there is a phenomenal part when this is going on. Tutabon. Tutabon. 
My favourite is when the waitress comes in and they just take a break from the lynchness. Yeah. There's, there's a bit where he's like, he's like, what did you do, Jack? And he's like, I ordered coffee. Where's my coffee? And then like the waitress comes in, delivers the two coffees. And then my best bit is he's like, there's been, oh, there, there's police everywhere. None of the trains are moving. There's been a murder. And then there's dramatic music. And then instead of it goes to the monkey, zooms in, but then zooms in on his coffee. <laughs> and then it breaks out for a song yeah. at one point. And then, um, yeah, you hear that there's this love triangle of a chicken and then a chicken appears. And then we hear about this name, Tutabon, and th- there could have been a love triangle and we don't know what's going on. I'm none the wiser from watching it. Did I enjoy it? Yes. I fucking loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I don't know what I saw. I don't know what I, I don't know what I experienced. I think it has to really be watched to, to kind of really, really kind of appreciate the oddness. Aspetically, though, oh, it was a really good... Yeah. Sure, you know, the black and white, there's something about Lynch. The Lynch green everywhere yeah. as well. Lynch looks good, you know, he's got a suit on, he's got his white hair, jet black, he's smoking through it, it's that kind of typical good cop, then he flips odd cop. <laughs> um, you know, you get the nice kind of sound in the background, the, you know, the aesthetic of it being at a train yard, you know, as opposed to an interrogation room. Every time Monkey speaks as well, the audio quality, because it's obviously, it's, it's really crackly. And yeah. It's, so you know it's been. I know it's been edited, edited, but you get the distinct. You as an audience member know you're supposed to know. I love that, but I don't understand. And this is fascinating. Is I don't understand why I made that. Like why? What? Why did you just go? This will be brilliant. And do you know what? It worked. I thought it was phenomenal, mate. I thought it was easily the best thing I watched this week. I thought it was fantastic. I want to vote it. I thought it was amazing. Yeah. Um, so the the official ending. I'm gonna not oh. let it spoil it for anyone. The conversation goes on for at least ten minutes, interrupted only by a waitress bringing Jack a cup of coffee. And then to cap it all, Jack sings a beautiful song to t- uh, Tutabon before all hell breaks loose in a tragic off-screen noir ending. <laughs> I, I, I should think- also say, if anyone's thinking this is unbelievable, I will say Jack does wear a suit. The monkey does wear a suit. Pulls it off. Mm. Does, mate. Um, I think this is the closest. You know when you, you know somebody doesn't, it's teetotal and has never done drugs. <laughs> Imagine this is the closest. You'd be like, watch this. This is what it's like to be on drugs. <laughs> this is how you see the world. I thought it was amazing. I don't get people that like really go into trying to depict what this movie oh, I means. I can't give a toss. I don't I, think it means anything. I just think it's going to be like, oh, this would be cool. <laughs> this would be epic. <laughs> people people be on the internet talking about this for years, <laughs> as they should be. So, so, look, so this is this is an audience review. I won't give them credit for who it is, but this, this, this is what they interpreted from it. Jack is represented as a monkey for his basic ape-like urges and sudden impulses of violence. His love... Tutaban is a chicken representing sexuality by chickens' virtues of their delicious breasts. No, no, no it's about it. a monkey and a chicken. Uh, and David Lynch had a, had a spare afternoon. Yeah, I just think it's, yeah, what? And he put together a 17 minute short. It is, uh, like I say, you got to see it to believe it. But James, if you could do a short movie, yes. if you had, you know, the the money, the, the, the facilities, the actors at your disposal, Ooh. what kind of short would you do? I think I would do one with lots of hidden meanings. Um, Maybe I'd pick Patrick Stewart. I'd sit him in a room with nothing in it, just except for he sat at a table. He's naked except for the pants. Mm. And there's a there's a clock behind him. Uh, and it's just ticking. And every minute, something gets added to the room. But you don't see it together. It's just like snapshot and it gets added. Uh, he starts off, he gets a suit. Then his chair gets more expensive. Then there's a big TV. And then once it's clicked to about halfway through, the next 30, stuff gets taken away and he gets older. Mm. and that's what I mean and then people ask me what it's about and I'll go if you have to ask me that you don't understand <laughs> and that's it 
Very artistic. Very artistic. Would it say Finn at the end? It would say, it would say F-I and then apprentices, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Love it. Fee. I think I would do a film uh, about... <laughs> Only purely for so people go, what's it about? I'm like, oh, oh, don't you know? Well, if you don't know, if you don't know, I, I, can't, I can't waste my breath telling you about it. I can't it. tell you it. You have to experience it. I would do a film about pigeons at the birdbath. Oh, that's Talking nice. about their day. Talking about how they're discriminated against just because the pigeons who weren't born that way, James. I was at the park the other day and there was a sign that said, don't feed the pigeons. I thought, ducks are fine. Swans fucking in here grazing around. What did the pigeon ever do? I've got birdbath at our house and uh, the uh, pigeons were picking on a swallow. We won't let it bathe. That's what I was a bit mean. That's why pigeons. But that's the sequel. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get many sequels in short films. I like that as well. Although I would fucking love a sequel to this film. Can I just say that this all started because of a film called, uh, we didn't mention it, I did mention it a few weeks ago, uh, Two Distant Strangers, which is on Netflix that you should definitely watch. It's a very powerful message. And that's what got us thinking about short films. So we should add that. We talk about the short films you should watch. You should also add that into the lexicon. And then I also saw very quickly called Cops and Robbers, which is 10 minutes long. However, it's only five minutes and five minutes is the credits because it's essentially a a young uh, black man uh, rapping about uh, Black Lives Matter movement and police brutality but every 30 seconds the art changes so mm. he's singing about brutality and then you'll see it as an anime style then you'll see it as a stop motion all oh, beautiful absolutely beautiful those five minutes of credits I actually sat through because I think these people deserved their their I was going to say come up and it's not like they're doing something bad get them no it's very good you should watch it very good there are two other shorts that are definitely worth honourable mention and that is the Uncharted short starring Nathan oh, Fillion mate everyone's favourite Drake you sexy that is the one that you want to watch in, in preparation for Tom Holland and Mark Warburg's. So you can get disappointed. Yeah. Uh, Nathan Fillion's version is on YouTube. You do want to watch that out. And also, uh, The Punisher, the... Uh, Tom Jane one. Tom Jane laundromat um, one yes. with Ron Perlman is worth it. If you like the uh, the early 2000s Tom Jane Punisher with John Travolta in it, but then you also like the John Berthnall violence, you should really watch that short because it kind of bridges the two and it shows you a much more violent Tom Jane version of the Punisher. So, because Tom Jane thought that his version wasn't that violent, because Tom Jane was a huge. So Tom Jane's a huge Punisher fan, wasn't he? And he said when he was making the Punisher film, "This isn't a Punisher film; it's a revenge story." Which obviously, if it was the Punisher, you'd just get a gun and shoot him. He wouldn't do this elaborate like park your car in front of a hydrant. Mm. So, do you think this was him actually like, "Can I make ten minutes of an actual Punisher film?" Yeah, and I think it's I think it's someone coming to him, isn't it, and saying, "Look, I've got a good script, and are you free on an afternoon? Can we do it? You know, get it done, kind of short yes. and wrapped." There was a uh, if we talk about shorts as well. I don't want to do this, and I don't want to because his misery's coming, but he's naturally going to come up. And when the Hellraiser franchise was running out of um, steam, so after the third one, <laughs> when it was running out of steam, they did a short where someone dressed up as Pinhead. They gave a monologue about how the human world. We're no longer interested in puzzle boxes. And that was really cool. It was on the DVD for Hellraiser Dead Air. It was, it was just a good five minutes of uh, like a monologue about the world that we live in now, told through the eyes of someone who's a bit of a terrorist, a bit of an evildoer. That was quite good. I quite enjoyed that. There's also linked to that is, what's his name? Uh, Doug Bradley Yeah, did a short called On Edge where he plays a demonic dentist. Do we, I said this ages ago, like episode four, six, I said, how come there's never any horror stories about dentists? And you brought this up. Yeah. And that's, I was, why is that? Everyone's terrified of the dentist anyway. Isn't that naturally? That I think be- horror plays on natural fears, doesn't it? And, some, yeah. and a lot of people don't like 
There's people messing around with the teeth. Because you've got a complete stranger that you literally have to open for and they get to drill in your mouth. Like, Yeah, and, th- and this this is about a guy, you know, a kind of obnoxious businessman who won't shut up. And then when he's in the chair and gas, the dentist, it's pretty much Doug Bradley kind of a monologue and the camera's POV uh, from the patient's perspective. And That's obviously when, when, he's, yeah, when he's finished, he's stitched all his mouth <laughs> up. And yeah, it's pretty, pretty gruesome short, but... I think horror works really well as a short. It does because again, you don't have to build your, you don't have to build the atmosphere for like a runtime of two hours because mm. it's like we've only got ten minutes, which means the 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 um, the build up will happen in the first minute, and then the rest of it is pure terror. Because it also in a short film, you don't have the comfort of a runtime. So if you and I go into like a big A lister horror film, mm. it's going to be two hours on. We know that even if the good guy, or good lady, whoever the protagonist doesn't die. They're going to die in the two hours. It's like mm. they'll be fine until later. It's a short film. They could literally die straight away. <laughs> I, I would do a short about like the serial killer after a busy night. Just like, you know, like you're Jason. Bollocks. <laughs> Jason just coming home and just having a bath. Fuck, he's I slayed tonight. I was just, I'm absolutely knackered. Like, puts the on, but the fuse goes and he just hangs his head. Oh, for fuck's yeah, sake. Yeah, go out. It's just really mundane, really boring. <laughs> just like he walks in with like a really bloodied machete, hangs up his uh, hockey mask and he just does mundane stuff like hoovers. He's like, fucking dishes. I'm going to do them for a one out. <laughs> <laughs> just saw that kind of just checks his answer machine. You have five new messages. I'll pick them up tomorrow. Fuck it. Do you know what I always thought was really cool? Do you know what scaring would make a really good ah mate? We're vibing here. I look when we do this. What if you? What if there was a horrible crime scene? Say there was a night where serial killer had gone epic, and he'd be like, you know, Jason mm. before you know he'd gone home to do the dishes. And um, because there were so many crime scenes, the police force was spread out thin, so they left one cop at a crime scene. So the everything's like he's in the middle of a wood in a forest and there's just like blood everywhere, like, you know, the numbers mm. and he's there alone or they're there alone. You know, she, it doesn't matter. How scary the fuck would that be? You'd be like, what's, wow, mm. mate. Well, what about, what about short where, you know, the, the cop chases the villain to the roof and he says freeze and turns around and it's his son. <gasps> and then you've got 10 minutes of dialogue between the two of them. Like, you know, those kind of things shows how you can make a film, a really interesting concept. And then only with 10 minutes to explore dialogue and, you know, you don't need the settings. Look at, how many shorts are on the internet of things like Batman vs. Alien vs. Predator, you know, or uh, Doug Jones has just done a short on the internet. It's on YouTube where he plays the Riddler. In, what? Uh, yeah, it's in um, Batman goes into Arkham to interview the Riddler and it's played by Doug Jones. That's amazing. Yeah, I think that, uh, that oh, came out a couple so of weeks bad. back. Oh, I know I heard about that. That sounds brilliant. Is it good? Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. and there's Joker in it. There's all these different characters in it. It's just really good, actually, showing you. Because I think that's now with the saturation that is kind of DC world, I think we all want the Arkham storyline, don't we? Yeah. Of, well, we've got the, as audience. All the inmates are out and Batman's got to go in. As Basically, as audiences, we know the storyline of yeah. Batman, so we don't need to see him like fighting for Gotham anymore. We need to put him in specialised locations mm. that we now know. And Arkham Asylum, being trapped in Arkham Asylum, but every yes. Sign me up. They based an incredibly, incredibly successful franchise on that video game-wise. Make a movie. Yeah. God, I'd love that. That'd be so cool. That would be cool. Originally, they were going to do it, weren't they? It was on the... when the, uh, Well, Snyder's Netflix. talking about it, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, he talks about a lot they, of stuff. They were talking also about the TV series potential as well. No. No, stay with I want a big budget. Do you know what? Being in the cinema has made me genuinely miss the cinema. I just realised I have missed... I've missed sitting in an air-conditioned room with a friend watching a film. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was fun to do. I enjoyed everything. I, this sounds really stupid. I enjoyed parking a car paying for it. I was like, I've missed this so much. Because 
and this is why you need to save the cinemas because it's an experience. We, anyone can watch a film at home. You'd be on your own. It's the pleasure. I enjoyed going there. I enjoyed them being sold out popcorn well, it's, somehow. It's about the best of both worlds, isn't it? And, and the good thing at the moment is one will feed the other. So the better that streaming sites become, cinema will up its game yeah. in many ways. It'll, you know, buy either, bring it out. Films that have, you know, special effects that need to be seen on a big screen or it'll push sound technology It'll push, push all these things to, to drive people to say, yeah, it would be good at home, but I need to see it on the biggest screen possible with the best surround sound possible in a comfy chair, eating sugary or salted snacks or whatever it yeah. is. So one will drive the other. And as film gets better, streaming sites will get better. It's the nature of the game. So it is really win-win. And I think that, you know, the best we can have is hopefully you know, both of them thriving and, and pushing cinema moving forward. I think... There was a certain magic about sitting in the cinema again this week, like you say, and just waiting for it to start and actually enjoying the nonsense adverts before the trailers. It you was know? a bit weird. It's like, I kind of miss the car advert that I'm never going to buy. you don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, or the perfume what? advert I don't give a shit about. Like, give it to me. Although actually the Coke advert fucking outstayed its welcome. But to be honest, I was going to tweet him and just go somehow, this is the worst thing in a year. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it's a bunch of knobheads dancing. I just want to text, I just wanted to tweet. Coca-Cola, just go, when are you going to realise dancing shit? Who still <laughs> likes dancing? It's bollocks. What's if you like dancing, sorry. Thanks for downloading this podcast. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sorry at all. What a weird rant. Uh, shorts. Uh, keep it short and sweet. How long have we gone on for? About? At least 40 minutes. It was good. Uh, do you want shorts? I think I did, my last word on it would be, a lot of people don't seek them out because they say, what's the point in 10 minutes? However, I have had such great fun just experiencing different things. Uh, you have to have an open mind because it's not going to tell you a linear story. It might not even tell you a, a good story. It, 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 whatever, what did Jack do will stay with me though forever. Mm. Much more than another film in comparison. It was it was brilliant. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed someone just making... The best thing about Shaw actually is it's that director's making that because they can. So that obviously shows... And they, they really are passion projects. And they really are passion projects because they're not going to make any money out of this, not going to win awards. It's just like, I want to do this because mm. it'll be fun. And that was incredibly good to see. Yeah. And I think the, also the other thing is, it's the, the, the nature of a short is, for example, if it's not your animation style, so if it's, you know, 2D or if it's digital or whatever it is, or even just the, the you know, the palette of the of the animation isn't your thing, the, you know, when it's only 10 minutes or so, it's, it's more tolerable than thinking, oh, I've got to sit through an hour 40 of this you know, hour 30 or whatever it is. And so I think animation works really, really well as, you know, as something that's really accessible for multiple genres and storylines. And do you know what? That's an absolutely brilliant point. And I'd just like to point out uh, The Trader on Netflix is um, is a, a documentary. Similar thing. It, it shows you very quickly something and then it makes you answer the questions. It's mm. not it's not a grand piece. Trader is about a gentleman who uh, buys, you know, buys for a, buys low and sells but he'll only sell them potatoes because that's the local currency and it was, just, it was it was fascinating this gentleman survives on potatoes he has to turn an old woman away at one point because she doesn't have enough potatoes and it was fucking weird but that's that's Georgian I was just I was sat in my giant bed uh, chair sorry my giant TV and I was just thinking there's a place in this world in Europe where they fucking sell stuff potatoes and I was just like fuck me and then I watched something to do with a monkey I don't know, I don't know I, what that was about <laughs> Tutaban. I do think though, like actually the Eurovision, you know, wouldn't it be better if there was a Eurovision, but it, you know, televised, but it was short films from those countries. I, I, anything that's better than the Eurovision. What eye-opening <laughs> experience that would be, you know, to get all the, and I'm, I'm certain someone listening to this is infuriated it's, thinking that exists, it yeah. already does. But it, I mean, if it was on, you know, TV it had the or... attraction that it did, you know, that each country submitted a short movie. 
Makes me more interested in short movie festivals. Mm. You know, if there was one local, I would be tempted to go. My understanding is you go all day and that you know you can watch all of them. I just that, that yeah, Link, Lincoln's film festival is that. It's the short. It's the uh, at the university and it is shorts. Might do that this year mm. if it's on COVID. You know, it's not going fucking anywhere. As is the nature of this podcast, the second we stop talking about it, I'll think of a hundred other short movies that I really like and enjoy, but forgot to talk about. Um, but time is of the essence, James, and we still need to talk about and bookend this podcast with Henry Cavill. Mate, Cavill, the Cavillator. Cavill, travel Cavill. The A-lister that, that you, when you look at him, you go, how? Because he's not, his filmography is not that long. No, and I think we'll go through a little bit of that uh, on, on the build-up. And also, it's not that strong, it is, which is mate, the you other and thing. I are in sync, because that's literally the point I was trying to subtly make. Was like, it's a bit shit. But, <laughs> but regardless, I think he's found his audience now. And the exciting thing is, is what is he going to do with that audience now? And I think even in the movies which didn't really land and and for whatever reason, whether that be, you know, the storyline, the the acting or whatever it is, I think a lot of people do take away, you know, but I still like him, you know. Yes. Say what you want about the Superman movies or the, or the DC universe. I think most people are like, but he's a good Superman. Yeah. You know, in, in agreement. And he is, you know, does certainly come across as a really genuinely nice bloke. You know, we talk about things and past few podcasts about him being a gamer, the geek favourite, you know, the he World of Warcraft guy. Six hours before we started recording, he posted a picture of him uh, painting some Warhammer figurines. Yeah. Mate, and we get it. You've won nerd. We you get know, it. He, he missed the call from Zack Snyder to be Superman because he was too busy playing uh, World of Warcraft. He didn't want to end the game. You know, there's all these things that make him lovable. And he's jacked. He's built like a brick shit house. He has a therapy dog. You know, he's all these things that make him like, people go, fuck, I really like this guy. He's really in- interesting. He's but, told people to stay the fuck out of his relationship today as well. It's just like, he just wants to be him. Yeah. That's awesome. Just be you. Uh, and he's and he's, he's impeccably British, which I really like as oh, well. Yes. Even the double... Even the little digit in his yeah, chin, mate. Is you British. know, move over Jude Law. All if, right? you, if you look very closely, you can see a Union Jack in that, didn't <laughs> But, you know, he does a lot of things for things like um, veterans in the UK. He does a lot of things to highlight the importance of um, supporting um, people from the armed services. He does, a, you know, he's into things like rugby. You know, he, he looks like he's a farmer. He's just, <laughs> he, you know, he's, like, he's one of them people that's like, yes, so British. It's, it's brilliant. But if, if he turned out to actually be the James Bond, like not the character actually James Bond, you would not be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Uh, do you know James Bond was actually inspired by Christopher Lee? Uh, yes, I've heard this yeah, before. So yes. based which, Fleming. Is why, which is why Scaramanga as well is just why he got him. Yeah. Fleming was based him on uh, Christopher Lee. Yeah. Um, so Henry William Dalgleish uh, Cavill was born on May 5th, 1983. He's the second youngest of four brothers to Marianne and Colin Cavill. Discovering acting at a young age, um, he started in multiple school performances of Shakespeare before landing smaller roles at the BBC. As a writer passage for many and most young British actors, he starred in Inspector Lindley Mysteries and Midsummer Murder in 1997. You do not get to be anyone unless you've been in Midsummer yeah. Murder. You have to be in something with David Jason at some point. <laughs> or, or, or Hetty Wainfrop or someone like that. David Jason must not you if you're going to become anything because he's the original everything. Yeah. He, he's the original Mr. British, so you have to come through him first. <laughs> His intro- introduction to Hollywood would start with Hellraiser Hellworld in yeah. 2005. I remember it. He's just like a shit jock. But then again, it's it's the eighth Hellraiser film. You, we weren't expecting great so things. I put here, is this the one with a rave and Lance Henriksen? Yes. Right, I do think it's not the one with the hotel no. that they're building. No, oh no, that's the fourth one. No, this is the eighth one. This is the one where there's a visitor. It's about uh, MMOs, uh, multi 
online multiplayer games and there's a hell there's a hellraiser one and a kid gets addicted to it and dies spoilers i'm spoiling this really shit film for you Henry Lenton is the kid's father who creates a rave and somehow gets all these people to go and then drugs them and then it's not actually pinhead that's killing them it's he lance it's really shit right okay it, it earns its direct to seek direct to dvd sequel status it's bollocks uh, and he's bollocks. <laughs> he would also have small roles in movies like uh, Tristan and how? What is this movie title? Tristan and Isolde. Is that what it is? I think so. That's what I've always Isolde. Isolde. Yeah. That would have been like Tristan and Tristan and, and other <laughs> and mate. <laughs> I sold. I don't. I remember. I I remember not going to watch this because not because it had James Franco in it, but I remember just seeing seeing a poster for it at a bus stop. When I, I must have been like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, I was really young, like fourteen or whatever, <laughs> and I was like, no, no, I just do not want to see it. It was of the time. I think, I think that uh, that oh, what was it called? The we oh shit, what was the movie with Heath Ledger in it? We we played a night. A nice nice tale. Yeah, it was kind of of the same time as that, and I was just like, I'm done with these. Like cinema goes through these spats of like, oh, that one movie was successful. Let's do a shit ton of them. Yeah, you know, like you know, like so you do realize we live in a world now where like superhero movies are the only movies coming out. Yeah, <laughs> I know, but they are they're, they're, because because they're, of this, they're pushing boundaries at least, and, and, and I've got the money and the budget. But you know, like when you know you got like Hansel and Gretel came out, and then Little Red Riding Hood, and it's like, why are all these fucking Grim Brother films coming out? Yeah. No one's asking for them. Yeah, no idea. Right? <laughs> and then there was a phase of like, I'm certain there was a phase of like Frankenstein. And Van Helsing style yep. movies that came out. It didn't they come out because of popularity of Blade? <laughs> everyone, everyone thought it was vampires that are cool. And it was like, no. Yeah, it's it all, but there's a whole other world <laughs> of like, monsters. It's like the actual character of Blade was cool. No one gives a toss about you. With that, I, I never watched it, but I did then obviously find uh, Stardust, which he had a very small role in, um, which is a fucking delightful movie, James. I don't care what anyone says. It's an alright film. In 2009, though, he starred as Can we the... just say that we had, there was a film that had Daredevil and Superman in it and Robert De Niro? <laughs> Robert, Robert De Niro, that was, that was what they would go on to be. I know Robert De Niro was already there. There was, if you look at that film, like and Catwoman list, was in it. What was she? Michelle Pfeiffer was in it. Was she? I don't, yeah. oh, of course she was. And then Claire Danes, who knocked the, knocked the hell out of everyone in uh, Homeland. Brilliant TV series. Oh, not Terminator 3 then. Everyone's got a death note, mate. <laughs> Say that every week. Had <laughs> Rupert Everett in it. You know, he was in all them films that we love. He was in Dustin Checks In, mate. <laughs> Great movie. Mate, we don't mention Dustin Jenks in enough on this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> that movie. Sorry, I don't know why that's too cool. Also, also, th- th- this is right. So this is the Mark Strong lie game as well, <laughs> because if you went, oh yeah, can you not remember Mark Strong in Stardust? He could be or couldn't be, but it sounds so much like he probably was. He probably was, yeah. That, like people would just assume, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark Strong was in Stardust because you could just see him with a wig. <laughs> But I also see him with an eye patch. Was he fucking in it? Was he in it? I've got to Google it quickly. No, he wears an eye patch in Shazam. That's where he's got the eye patch from. Surely you're getting that confused. He's not in it. He doesn't wear an eye patch in Shazam, does yeah, he? He does because that's where the seven deadly mate. That's where the seven deadly sins hide in his eye. You know, <laughs> how did I forget that? Do you know what? Because when he releases him, he just does. He just kind of like tweaks his eye a bit, and then they come out. Don't ever question me on Shazam again. He's he's not in it. You started this by saying if you told people. Mark Strong was in it, was he? Yeah. <laughs> he played Septimus. Okay. Well, Unbelievable. Well, you learn something new every day, don't you? But I like that Mark Strong game. So you can lie about Mark Strong being in a film 
and people just think, yeah, he probably was because that's such a much strong thing to do. Um, I, have to, I, have to keep, I have to keep reminding people like he's actually in Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Well, Mark Strong's actually on the poster. Is he? Yeah. Yeah, so is Ricky Gervais, but you know, you can't want him more. No, nah, I like Ricky Gervais. I I'm joking. joking. Um, I, just tried to, I, just, I just tried to get you with Mark Strong in uh, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Of course he was. I was like, no, he won't. Was he then, not? No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> he was in one of them though, wasn't he? Uh, he was in Snatch, wasn't he? No roller, <laughs> rock and roller. Mate, don't fucking question me, you little dick. <laughs> Henry Cavill. <laughs> Henry Cavill. In 2007, um, no, no, not there. 2009, sorry, he starred the lead role in Joel Schumacher's Blood Creek, a movie about two brothers on a revenge mission when they stumble across a Nazi necromancer starring Michael Fassbender. Yep, that exists. Yep. Oh, I, I how have I not seen that, that movie? <laughs> Even the Joel Schumacher episode, we didn't talk about that movie. I don't remember that at all. That sounds epic. Mate, yeah. say that cast list again. Well, say well, those two names, <laughs> Henry Cavill. And, it, and, it, no, and, and he's also got one of the brothers from Prison Breaking It, not the one you're immediately thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> Wentworth it's Miller. Not Wentworth Miller. <laughs> <laughs> the other one. The one, one who's named that no one knows. The one who played Dracula in Blade 3. Yeah, that's, do you know what, when you say that, you go, Wentworth Miller, no, then you go, oh, Dracula in Blade 3. <laughs> <laughs> that's all he'll ever be. His name's Dominic Purcell. Is it? I think so. Well, I'll take Dominic. He probably he looks like a Dominic. Fuck <laughs> Right, I'm going to Google it now. No, I'm not. I don't care that enough. No, he was in um, Blade 3 with uh, Mark Strong was in the movie, wasn't he? <laughs> I think that was, uh, I think that was Triple H. <laughs> um, in 2007, though, he took on the role of uh, Charles Brandon in The Tudors. Uh, the show was well received and won Henry Cavill a, a string of awards. I think including this is it. I think this is the birth of Cavill. Hottest male, most dashing smile. Sexiest man alive, most charming. So really kind of catapulted him in in, in that role. For his acting abilities, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I put it, I put it here. I put it Poor Henry being objectified <laughs> in such a way that must have felt so terrible. Um no, I I I'd never watched the Tudors. Uh, I recall it was very big. I can't remember the guy that they played. It was supposed to be the next big British actor, was the guy who played Henry the Eighth. I can't remember him. He was in Bendit Like Beckham. I can't remember his name. Anyway. Mark Strong. <laughs> Mate, I would fucking if Bend it like Beckham and he plays the football coach. <laughs> bend it like Beckham. Oh no, wait, hold on. Is it the guy in from Paris with Love? Yes, that's the guy. I can't remember I can't remember the chap's name. Anyway, he was supposed to he plays Henry. Jonathan Reese Millers. Jonathan Reese Millers. And I just remember thinking, everyone in like, that audience was like, oh, he's so hot. And then you just Google Henry the Eighth. Jonathan Reese Mayers, sorry. Oh, okay. I'm forgetting it mixed up with the guy from Train Spotting. Oh, Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, he, he out-hotted him, and this is where he became. He became quite hot, didn't he? Um, so this is where I think it started to begin, the legacy of what would later be called Superman. So, because John, Johnny Lee Miller was in Train Spotting with Mark Strong, and then <laughs> Jonathan Rhys Mayers was in The Tudors with Mark Strong. <laughs> Mark, Strong. Um, Mark Strong, though, was actually in The Tudors. <laughs> 2011. <laughs> this was this episode <laughs> in uh, in 2011, Henry uh, got cast uh, big in in Hollywood. Uh, Post 300 fascination. This, this is going back. Yes. This is going back to um, what I was just saying a minute ago about like Grim Brothers and then Frankenstein and everything. After 300s, people realised Greek men without any like, shirts. Yeah, it was, like, it was, it was hot. It's like, hold on, I know what Greek mythology needs. A shit ton of CGI, and then all of a sudden we got like Wrath of the Kings or what? Clash of the Titans, Wrath of the Titans, Hercules, Prince of Persia, Hansel and Gretel, Gods of Egypt, Pompeii, and how could we Fucking forget? For 
carb out Pompeii. We try. <laughs> Immortals with Henry Cavill in it. Um, and um, <laughs> Don't say it. <laughs> no, I'm going to say, what's it? Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke. <laughs> but at this point... <laughs> Have you ever seen Mickey Rourke just think Greek God? <laughs> <laughs> at this point, Henry Cavill was starting to be named, named as the most unlucky man in Hollywood, having lost out in auditions to Christian Bell and Batman, Daniel Craig in James Bond, Superman in Superman Returns to Thingy Roth, uh, Eli Roth. No, not Eli, Eli Roth. Roth. That would have been different, wouldn't it? Mate. Brandon Roth. Brandon Roth. Who I would like to point out, standing on this hill, was a great Superman. Superman Returns is an alright movie. Come at me, internet. I might try and play Let's <laughs> through that one. You do what? If, if they re-edit it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Cedric Diggory in uh, Harry Potter as well. I think that's the one that hurt the most. <laughs> So by this stage, he was already. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Daniel Radcliffe standing next to Henry Cavill? <laughs> Just be like, one of these doesn't belong. <laughs> you got fucking Ron Weasley next to him. He also like he. Um, Only he could be up for Ron. I like to think it was in the same year. It was like, oh, you can be Cedric or James Bond. <laughs> Thingy, uh, the author of Twilight, is it Stephanie Mayers? Stephanie Mayers yep. said. Um, Mark Strong would make said that uh, Henry Cavill would be the best Edwards Cullen in that. Ooh, yeah. But by the time, I think he was 25 and he needed to play a 17 year old, and, and it was like, I wouldn't believe it. I mean, yeah. he wasn't as jacked as he is. But well, now, now he's phenomenal, isn't he? Um, but all of that aside, in 2013, Henry solidified his place in pop culture and entertainment history as being the first non American actor to play Superman, you know, that alien created by a Canadian. Yep. Uh, then came hit after hit Man from Uncle uh, can I just point out it's one of my favourite underrated movies of all time I love that he does brilliantly well and you've got to remember that he doesn't get eaten in that film so he survived <laughs> so, Army Hammer Army Hammer yeah, yeah not, not the scenery <laughs> Batman vs Superman Justice League Mission Impossible uh, Enola Holmes The Witcher yep I forgot Night Hunter deliberately um, but I think really since being cast as Superman I mean yeah I mean anyone could say the moment that you're in a Hollywood film you know, even film like Immortals, you've made it. You know, you've made it from your dream of becoming an actor to being on the big screen. But I certainly a lister since uh, Superman. I think you got to remember Superman though. Superman is like the poison chalice because the original isn't even you know the black and white era is not the one we remember. We remember Christopher Reeve. He made it. You know, at the time audiences at the time believed a man could fly. He's going up against iconic. You, Brendan Roth, got crucified. Because he wasn't, he played, I thought he played a part perfectly, but because he wasn't Christopher Reeve, no one was interested. Mm. So a lot of weight on his shoulders. Christopher Reeve, though, did Clark Kent so well. He did do Clark Kent, but that's why I like Brendan Roth, because I always thought he did fantastic. He, I thought he was a great continuation of Christopher Reeve. There was, is it Superman 2 when Christopher Reeve goes into the diner and there's the bully in there and yeah, he basically... because he loses his powers because he gives them up and yeah. he gets beaten up and then in the end he gets his powers and he goes back into the diner. Yeah, and he sorts out the bully and he yeah. slits, throws him across the diner and he gives the guy a load of money and uh, and he's like, oh, I've, I've been doing the weights. And he does this action that's so innocent and you're like, he's he was so good as, as you know, Clark Kent. So um, I think that uh, Henry Cavill... Is that how we pronounce Travel, it? Cavill. Travel, Cavill. Um, great Superman. Not a very good, uh, not very good nerd. Not a very good, you know. Well, human. he plays farm boy. He he goes more down the route of uh, Smallville. Yeah, Clark like, Kent. 
But I like my Superman a bumbling idiot when he's got the glasses on. And he is not bumbling. He, the problem is, he looks so hot. It's just like, you'd, you'd be like, oh my God, he's the look hardest at to that believe. man over there. He's yeah. like, he's so fucking gorgeous. It's he's like, hard to believe when he puts the glasses on. You're yeah. like, oh my God, he's just gone nerdy. It's like, as a, as a straight man, even I would give Clark Kent a tumble. <laughs> you know, I'd be like, come here, Clark, let's have a gander. Let's get in that phone box. Ooh. I, uh, I, I really like, I think a lot of these movies that we just brushed over there, Mission Impossible Fallout, thoroughly enjoyed that movie. It was a great... It, I, I know it's not the best thing to take away from an acting performance, but his fight scene was brilliant. Yeah, and you know the infamous scene when he kind of pops his arms in the yeah. bathroom? I'm certain in that scene I saw a video online where the pocket in his shirt disappears. Because <laughs> he's, he's popped got, it. Yeah, I don't know. Like, And I've watched it like a hundred times in slow motion. I'm like, yeah, like he's got a pocket and he does this with his arms and then the pocket's gone. That's no, I've never figured out, like, what did they cut? And just, like, I don't know. But, um, I mean, don't get me wrong. If you don't see the ending of that movie and who the villain is, like, the moment they walk on screen, you're fucking yeah. silly. But as a globe-trotting espionage spy movie that's full of effects and stunts and gorgeous locations, I loved Fallout. That was one of the most fun in the cinema because I had no expectation going in thinking it was going to be any good because the sixth movie is very rarely the best one. Don't really like the franchise. I like this character. Tom Cruise, right? I've got an anti-Cruise barrier, but yeah, it was a good film. And like I say, the flying scene was good. He was good. And we all sat through that cinema and you were thinking exactly the same thing. It's like, look at that moustache. Look at that moustache. Justice League's going to be bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> um, with the news also that he's going to join the Highlander reboot, I think it's time just to talk about a few of our favourite things. So what is your favourite Henry, Henry Cavill performance? It is The Man From Uncle. Because he plays, he's, he's plays the suave. I used to love the TV series growing up, and I thought he was the perfect uh, drop in. Everything about that film is great. He has great chemistry with Ernie Hammer, uh, I mean Hammer, and with Hugh Grant, which I genuinely am a big Hugh Grant uh, hide a minute. I forgot how much of the film I actually quite like. Rewatched the gentleman this week. Quite enjoyed it second time round. Paddington met too, mate. I, I'll put it on the list. But for me, it's the man from Uncle because he was able to show off his suave, under pressure, cool style. You know how Henry could. Uh, Cavill dresses. Mm. He dresses like James Bond. However, it's a point we'll get to when I start giving him career advice. He's better as like the Cold War era spy. He's just so calm and collected and he has great chemistry with Army. Mm. Uh, and Army Hammond didn't eat him, so he must have done something. It's good. <laughs> I remember Man from Uncle on a Friday night. So in our house growing up, it was Captain Scarlet, then Man from Uncle, yes. and then it's Doctor Who. Mate, we had great childhoods. Yeah. Yeah, that was Now it's all like Love Island. It's like, oh, I want to rub a, I want to rub a queen's nose, <laughs> wish for sprinklers or, you know, something like that. I think my favourite's got to be, I do love him as Superman. There is, there is something really cool about him as Superman. I He's do so like hot. it. Um, most fun I've had is probably Mission Impossible, Fallout, I think. It's good red herring. Yeah. Did quite like him as Sherlock Holmes in Enola Holmes as well. He is, but that's, that's kind of where we're getting with the advice because I think... I think that rule. I think that's perfect for him as the sporting character for a great young actress is Billy Bobby Brown. Millie Bobby Brown. Millie Bobby every fucking time. Millie Bobby Brown, who's obviously going to be an A-lister like soon. Well, he is surely is. Yeah, probably is actually. Yeah, a great sporting actor for that. Mm. Good chemistry as well, and signed up for the sequel. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Good news. Hopefully, the storyline is he gets kidnapped and she has to find him. Yes, that'd that's, be good. That's got to be the the storyline. Um, if you had to describe Henry Cavill in three words, what would they be? Stylish. Mm. Um, nerdy. And I hate to do it. I don't like to objectify people, but gorgeous. No, yeah. actually, I'm going to change it. I'm going to change it to hot. And I mean that in career-wise as well. The man is hot. The man is money at the minute. The man's hot. I put handsome. 
Oh. Uh, grounded and British. Oh, he's, he's very, he's British. very British. He's as Just, British as a cup of tea. The only thing I've not seen him do, which all British people do, is, you know, start screaming at the government for no reason. See it all the time, just in there, just screaming. He's as British as a cup of tea with a small biscuit, and you choose not to eat the biscuit. Ooh, just leave it there. Just leave it there. Uh, as the leading man in blockbuster movies, uh, what do you think you should take on next? Right, so I think he needs to take on, and I'm going to be very serious here, and I'm not taking the piss, he needs to villainize himself up. He needs to appear in a franchise and rule himself out of being James Bond. He should be a Bond villain. He should Jack Trevelyan it up from Good uh, Goldeneye. He should play the friend turned enemy. I just think everything that you've seen from there is the good boy. Everything in the matter is good. He needs to diversify. He needs to villainize himself, and he needs to villainize himself. Well, fall out. He was the villain. A villain. He was a villain, but he wasn't in an action film. He needs to get into his. You know, he needs to get. He needs so to break put, out the evil laugh. You would put him as the main villain, not the henchman. Yes, because I think he needs to be. Because everyone's talking about Bond. Now, I weirdly think he should stay the fuck away from Bond because once you've done Bond, you literally can't get any higher. Like, I like Daniel Craig, but Daniel Craig, I'm sorry, internet. He's not going to go higher. He's, yeah. he's, not gonna go, he's not a good actor. Oh, it's, uh, he's not the best. He's not He's not the best. Every time he's got a script that he could do something with, there's something that just lets him down. I'm thinking about the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. His, his performance, yeah, but that movie was never going to live up to... Yeah, but I, I just think he never... Defiance, he wasn't that good in. Knife's out, mate. I stand corrected, sir. Yes, that was actually a very good performance. Okay, he's not going to win an Oscar playing yeah, that. Right. I'm just just saying, he. I think he'd be like a really good, he needs to action villain it up, but be the bad guy, be the equal. I think he should be in the next Bond film and you, I think you should, I think that should trick the audience. They should mm. imply that he's going to be the next Bond and then swerve Steph Patel and Steph Patel versus fucking Superman. Yeah, <laughs> Sign so me up. Rizamard. I'll say every week, mate. I think it's only a matter of time before he plays a British Marine. Yeah. stranded, you know, one-man mission kind of stuff. I think it's also a matter of time before he's in a British rom-com. He replaces Jude Law and he's in a Richard Curtis movie. Do you think he should, though? Or that's yeah, because happen. like, because the Richard Curtis kind of films have to be insanely British, don't they? they? They have to be shot in that one scene, that one street in London. Do you think he's over, though? Do you <clears> think he's over Britishness? Now, I know he embodies British for us, but do you think he's, he's too successful? Why... So the fascinating thing about his career is he's, you know, he got the nod from David Jason, obviously, when not did Mr. Britain. But other than then, he has stayed away from British cinema. Yeah, but he'll come back. I, I imagine, he would, like, you know, Lion and Witch and Wardrobe remake. Mm. He could play Mr. Timmons, mate. He'd look good with goat legs. He'd look good in anything, mate. <laughs> I um, could see him with a big mane of air, mate, playing Aslan. I mean, I'm just saying. Oh, who played the last Aslan? Oh, racist, right? <laughs> Liam Neeson. Um, I think a drama, school teacher, rough neighbourhood. Michelle Pfeiffer up. Well, I was thinking more East London kind of thing. British version of, what was that film called? Dangerous Minds. Dangerous Minds. Yes, but only if they bring back Julio. I think a sci-fi, you know, where he plays the lovable geek in space. I think that's guaranteed to happen. I think that's guaranteed to happen because he's not, the one the one element of the universe he's not been in yet in space. He's, he's played a god. He's, he's played an alien, but not in space. So I think, though, his big performance would be if he paired up with someone like Danny Boyle in a 28 months later kind of, something that no one sees coming. You know, we see, yeah. we've had 28 days, 28 weeks. Well, I've always thought it was going to be 28 years. I've always thought there was a I trilogy. Think, I think I heard that months is the next one. Yeah, okay. Because how would the rabid, 
live for 28 years. Oh, I don't have a fucking clue, mate. I, but then again, but, the, but then again, it's a zombie I don't know virus. So it's it's zombies. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think Rage science virus. Is, don't think the science, science is completely there. Um, and then that's a good chat. I've seen with Dave. I was thinking though, the one thing that he's never really done, he's never really from horror, but horror isn't for big jacked man. But I know a director that he should work with and Kurt Russell him up. And I, John Carpenter. I know John Carpenter does I'm talking about ideal world where time's not an issue. I would love to pair them up and John Carpenter could Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell him up, you know, make him the everyday working man, put him in a vest, put him up against, you know, like Chinese gods, one in marrying... Oh, uh, sorcerer, please. Yeah, sorcerer, sorcerer, sorcerer. I apologise. I'm sorry. I... <laughs> I'm sorry, sorcerers. Um, I'm sorry, LePan. I apologize. <laughs> I, I watched the Kurt Russell movie last night. I started it. And then after 20 minutes, I had this very sobering moment. I figured, what the fuck am I doing? Like, it's a Saturday night. Turn this shit off. So it's Kevin Costner. Yeah. Oh, 300 miles to go, son. 3,000 miles to go, son, yeah. Fucking mate. Yeah, that's the problem with that film. <laughs> there, was a, there was too many miles in the title. As that film was starting, yeah. there's two CGI scorpions fighting. And one is like chrome metal and the other one's like black with blue eyes. Yep. And they're fighting in this horrible early 2000s like effects. Mm. And I was like, why am I watching this? And then I thought, no, I, I think I have memories that it's not a bad movie. And after about 20 minutes, I was like, I gotta turn this shit off. David Arquette is just killing me. But you know who plays the narrator in that? The narrator? Yeah, at the end. No. What's wrong? Fuck off. <laughs> There's no narrator in the no movie. Fucking narrator at the end of the film. <laughs> <laughs> No, I remember the end being really bloody and like a big shootout. I, I, do you know what worries me is I remember really liking that film. I thought I did. That's why I put it on. I saw it on Netflix. I was like, I think I like that movie. I think as well at the end, like the, it's about heist, isn't it? Because you yeah. know heist. And, he's all dressed um, up as a Elvis, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, but at the end, one of them is like Kevin Costner's character. They're like, rumour has it, he's like the last cousin of Elvis. Or so like, like, why are you throwing that storyline in all of a sudden? Kevin Costner and Elvis, one of the most charismatic people in the world and Elvis Presley. Never, never <laughs> happened. <laughs> uh, back to uh, Cavill. Acting <laughs> style. It's quite, do you know what? It's, I don't think it's too fancy. And, he, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, what you see is what you get. I don't think he surprised me. If we talk about films, we enjoy his roles, but has he ever blown you away with a performance? Has he ever been like brought a tear to your eye? No, but then again, in his defense, his roles aren't designed to do that. So I just don't think we've seen that side of him. And I'm looking forward to seeing how he evolves as an actor. Now that he's A-list, you know, with a filmography, this he's hot, but mm. how? He's stay away from swords. W- w- it, do, do you think though he was just going to be the the action guy? Because obviously Tom Cruise isn't going to do it forever. No. And I imagine there were a lot of actors lining up. You know, you Chris Hemsworths, you Henry Cavill's lining up to be the next big. You know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger was. You know, it like eighties yeah. and then into the nineties. Like so many franchises under his belt. The big guy in action. But if I was Henry Cavill, I would actually use. Um, I would use Tom Cruise as a sounding poster to see my career because Tom Cruise, whilst does a lot of action, at the same time, remember when he was early, he was doing a lot of you know, rom-coms, a lot of dramas. You know, he was taking risks with his career. Henry Cavill has come up the Cavill has come up the other way. He's come up with the action, and then I think he needs. I think he needs like a. He needs to go with a director who's going to basically strip him down, give him a role where he plays like I don't know, like a homeless gypsy. You know, Oscar him up. You know, give him the storyline, give him everything. Just basically, you need to method up. And when you lose a bunch of weight, you know Christian Bell, go follow him around for six months near Oscar season, do that. Because I think he's got it. I just don't think his roles give him a chance to show it. Mm. So um, any, I, th- I just think he needs a director who's basically going to be, who's used to working with big stars and get the best out of him. I think one thing about his acting style though is, and, and I mean, he is a physical performer, obviously, 
But I think also he's one of them guys and one of them actors where doesn't really need to respond a lot. He doesn't need a lot of dialogue. He's very good with his facial expressions. Oh, you know, you think of things like The Witcher, you know, a lot of the time he doesn't need to respond. The glare, the look in his eyes, oh, the kind you know of the menacing a great look. point. And he's good with his voice. Because I yeah. just thought his voice liked him down in The Witcher, but I was was worried about his voice because every time I hear Geralt in the video game talk, I always hear Mads Mikkelsen. I thought he did a very good job and very menacing, piercing eyes. Did Mads Mikkelsen do the voice in the game? No. I didn't play the game. I don't mean that, is it? No, no, he didn't do the voice, but I've always, when someone, when they heard about The Witcher, I was like, well, Mads Mikkelsen, easily Mads Mikkelsen. Mm. Mads Mikkelsen. It was the, it was the Nathan Fillion of like Uncharted. It was like, when it wasn't Mads Mikkelsen, I was like, you fucked up here. Mm. But then, you know, in hopefully history repeating itself, uh, he's done a good job as, as old Geralt. Looking forward to him returning to Sherlock Holmes. I am because I think that's a good role for him, Sherlock Holmes, but not the not, but not the main focus. Yeah. I genuinely think I don't think he should play a historical character or a loved character. I think he should bring a bit of nuance. He should stay away from fantasy and a bit of swords purely because he's got the Witch TV series. Now he's got Highlander. He doesn't want to be the sword guy. Mm. <laughs> he doesn't want to get involved in a big epic, you know. Lord of the Rings franchise or anything like that. He needs to go to space. He needs to villainize himself and he needs to get with a director and do a drama and he needs to knock out the part. And then once he's done that, I reckon he'll have, he'll be probably the A-lister. I think he's so close to being number one. Oh, I don't know. There's too many people in his way, I reckon. I But they're not pulling out the good stuff, mate. You know, we're talking about next generation. He's leading the next generation. Will he return to Superman? Uh, are you bugger? No. I think he will. I want him to. You can't hang up that cape. But I don't know if, I don't know what Warner Brothers is doing. Is it Warner Brothers? It is Warner Brothers. Is it Warner Brothers? It's Warner Brothers. Is it Warner Brothers? Them. Them. I, because they've just pissed them out. Mm. They've just pissed them out so much. It's Warner Brothers. They've pissed about so much that you don't know what's going. You've got fan bases screaming for one thing. You've got film studios purposely ignoring them now and goes like, we're not going to do that. It's only going to end in failure. Mm. There's no way... If you don't give the fans what they want, they won't watch your film. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess that if, yes. I'm going to give you some films now, or franchises, and I want you to put Henry Cavill in there. So this is fantasy casting. Oh, I love fantasy and casting. These, are, these all exist. So who would you, if, if they were redoing Lord of the Rings, who would you put as Henry Cavill? Uh, you see, the main choice would obviously Aragon. He's got to be Aragon. He's got the physique. He's got the, he's got the, no, fuck it. Faramir. You've said that, mate. Going the opposite. Going Sauron. Yeah, you're villaining him I'm up already. Him up already. And that would be awesome. Although uh, he's not really in the film. Fuck it, Gimli. <laughs> 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 he's, he's not He's not corner like he's, he's Aragon, isn't he? He's Aragon or Boromir or Faramir. He's not Boromir. That's always going to be Sean Bean, even in a remake. Someone's got to die that way. Heroically with all their arrows. Yeah, Henry Cavill doesn't die much for an Englishman in films, does he? <laughs> Bullshit. If you had to redo Star Wars, where would you put Henry Cavill? You see, ultimately... Everyone's gonna say Han Solo. See, Han Solo's smuggler mate. That's mm. who you'd cast him as. In Han Solo 2 or Solo 2, you would yeah. cast him as like the other rogue Han Solo. The one who's always a bit better. The, yeah, the yeah, the one who's got the nicer, the cleaner ship. Yeah. And the crew, the crew that is they all look the same. So there's another Wookiee, but he's just a bit more sophisticated. <laughs> it's like that scene in Sean of the Dead when they go past another group, but the other group's doing better. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that. You it's see that him kind of like, person, yeah. Yeah. Banjolo. <laughs> I'm grand. Oh, there, there is a Banjolo movie. Much stronger than it. All right, here's a big one. Pokemon. Um, it's Bulbasaur any day. Come on, it's Bulbasaur any day. 
He hasn't got a physique for a Bulbasaur. Uh, mate, I do you know. I'm not. I do not know. I know Pikachu. Pikachu. Charizard. Any day. Um, if they were to do the Dark Universe, because he would do a good Van Helsing. He do. He would. He, I kind of want to villain him up. Well, what do you think about Jekyll and Hyde? You'd do good. I, I was. I was actually thinking about Frankenstein. No, nah, what the scientist or yeah, scientist. Yeah. Oh, that's I, another short I watched this week. David Harbour's. Um, Frankenstein's it. monsters, so Frankenstein monster yeah. thing. Yeah, I like David Harbour. Odd. That was weird. <laughs> Odd. It, like it's rare that you try and recreate the nineties. I thought. Do you know what? He, stylistically, it was very good. I, yeah. I, I, did, I did enjoy the crappiness. I tittered. Of it. <laughs> I tittered. Uh, sorry about this. Yeah, I would. Um... I, 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 I. But then again, I guess the problem is he's two inch, and we use that argument all the time. It's like you when... can lose weight, you can lose muscle. No, I think Jekyll and I think Jekyll Hyde. I think that's. A I good think chance. Mr. Jekyll and. Oh no, Doctor Jekyll. Yeah, uh, so he's Mr. got the Hyde. So yeah, so he's Dr. got Jekyll. that contrast of yeah, science, and then because the Jekyll and Hyde character is wicked, isn't it? Is do you want? Know did you ever watch the BBC drama with Nesbitt, James Nesbitt in it? That was actually pretty mm. good. Yeah, it was a bit different. I enjoyed that they took a risk. I actually, don't remember it that well. He would play quite a few. Well, he'd do a weird man, pretty good werewolf. They would do it with Benicio del Toro. Maybe move on. <laughs> that film that fucking destroyed several careers. Anthony Hopkins was in that, wasn't he? Well, he's Anthony Hopkins. You'd, if anyone was going to survive, it would have been Sir Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> um, <laughs> Star Trek, who would you class them as? Uh, which one, next generation or old generation? Obviously the old generation. <sighs> he's not He's not Kirk. He's not Kirk. He's not Spock. No. Two inch to be Bones. I'd put him down in the hall, mate. I think he might be a new character. Yeah, I think he'd be a new character. Klingon? Possibly. I think he'd make a good villain. <laughs> Khan. Well, you know what? You know, might watch it again because Benedict Cumberbatch did that, so why not? Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you could choose a Doom or a Halo movie with him in it. Oh, Halo. Because, that's uh, Master Chief, isn't it? It's Master Chief, yeah, with a Katina. But I don't know. I think he'd be fucking calling Doom. I still think they should. You know what? I'm going to go with Doom and remake it because I I don't understand the storyline of Doom. The video game is they they open a portal to hell. Yeah. And they made it into a film. It opens a portal to Mars. It was yeah. Like a, in the game, like, they're in Mars mining. And it opens a portal to hell. Yeah. It was like I don't know, I don't know about you. But I think the game was always about trying to stop them from getting to Earth, wasn't and it? And in the second one, they go into hell to yeah. stop the portal. I just like to point out that that hell is is as an audience member, it's something I would rather see than Mars. Like Mars is a shit hell. <laughs> Let's go to hell. Um, right. If you're casting face off with Tom Hardy and Henry Cavill, yeah. who's who? Henry Cavill is uh, the straight man at the beginning, so he's cast a Troy later. Right, so, so, he's, so he's John Travolta. So he's John Travolta. Yeah. Yeah, because I think he could have a lot of fun, you know, when he's going crazy midway through the film, whereas Tom Hardy, I, I do I think Tom Hardy would be the perfect casting for that. See, I think it would be the other way around. I think you'd get 10 minutes of Henry Cavill Cavill is a bad guy at the beginning, but then for the majority of the film, he's the good guy. You would, wouldn't you? Because Tom Hardy, yeah, you would. And You're then, right, yeah. I concede. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, that's a shame. Fi should... Final question, if you could recast any Spielberg movie. Ooh. Oh, what about you? Because I'm... Oh, I mean, lots. Indiana Jones is a big one, isn't it? No, nah, it never happened. Indiana I... Jones can't exist now. You could only ever, you could only, you would only ever have to remake it, but you'd have to remake it in the same period. When that doesn't make any sense because you've already done Indiana Jones, it's too perfect. No, I, if they ever remake Indiana Jones, I'll just retire from life, from being, <laughs> from being a human. I'll be quit. I think Jurassic Park. 
Yeah, good as, call. That's Malcolm. No. She's just trying to wind you up, mate. <laughs> Obviously, Mark Strong would be Malcolm. <laughs> <laughs> no, you just get... Marco's just perfected, mate, by mate, Jeff Goldblum. Mate, Keep I, him. Just, I just, obviously he's Dr. Grant, but just so he could literally, you know, the scene where they close the door mm. and then the velociraptors break in, so he could just punch him on the door and kill it dead. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's a good one. I'd, I'd cast him as the fucking Bronchiosaurus. Oh, I've got it. He's got the neck. Oh, no, I've got it. Brody in Jaws. There you mm. go. There you go. CGI, I'm not saying they should. They CGI up. He's... He's terrified of water, still hench, because that explains why he's hench, because he's like, I don't go to water, I just go to the gym. Yeah, yeah. Terrified, big muscled man, scared of the water. Uh, get Mark Strong in that boat. And, and Kevin uh, Costner. And Kevin Costner. So they feed Kevin Costner to the shark. <laughs> Where's your gills now, Costner? <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to reminisce over war world. And his gills. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really like uh, Henry Cavill. I thought... Um, uh, Cavill. I mean, do you know what? I like how we started the section off by pronouncing his name wrong and then I've just got it wrong. Uh, right, sorry. And then got it wrong every other time since. It's right. It's allowed. Cavill, you know travel. You, you tried. Henry Cavill. That's the most important thing. Cavill. Cavill. I think he'll always be Cavill to me. <laughs> That's wrong then. <laughs> yeah, but people say my name wrong all the time. Fuck Your name's him. James. How was that? But obviously my fucking name. <laughs> 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 Aaron. I get it all the fucking time. Aaron. A-A-Ron. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, next week, Tomorrow. <laughs> well, for us, it's tomorrow. But next week is... Uh, big one. Cops. Buddy cops. Buddy cop movies. And then we do have in the pipeline some big ones. We've got Star Trek coming up. And also, um, I want to do the Hannibal Lecter series. Yeah. Not the, sorry, not the series. I mean, like the, the series film series. Films, yeah. yeah. And we've got, that, we've got that food one you want to do. Oh, yeah, we've got that one as well. <laughs> I've, got, I've got my list. I've worked on that. Oh, I did that at some point. We'll throw that in maybe as a bonus. Um, yeah, I, I've rewatched the scene today of um Anthony Hopkins in Red Dragon actually out mm. of all of them and uh, I was like god I've missed their movies I haven't seen them in a long long time so I do kind of really want to revisit them and Hannibal Lecter mm. one of the cinema's greatest villains yeah yeah completely that is our show ladies and gentlemen thank you for downloading if you liked it don't forget to subscribe to your new episode every single week and if you really liked it don't forget to leave us a review because it really does help if you like subscribe or leave us a comment on Facebook, if you want to be on an episode, anything like that, do shout out, do reach to us and uh, we'll see what we can make happen. This has been our show. This has been episode 147. Any movies for the vault this week? Uh, if anything happens, I love you. The short, yeah. The short. Films are designed to make you feel emotions and fuck me, I felt emotions. All right, in the vault, the safe haven are the greatest movies of all time. Brilliant. Uh, for no see you later, good afternoon, good evening and good night. Goodbye.